Daniel Langton, Professor of Jewish History at the University of Manchester. Today we're asking the question, how Jewish do Jewish people think Jesus was? I'm interested in the ways in which Judaism and Christianity have related to each other down through the centuries. And one interesting window onto this topic is to consider how each made sense of the other's scriptures. The central gospel figure of Jesus offers an opportunity to think about what differentiates the two faiths and what unites them. For many Christians who read gospel accounts such as Matthew 23 verses 1 to 39, where Jesus condemns the scribes and the Pharisees, it's clear that Jesus broke with Judaism to bring about the new covenant which would lead to the triumph of the church, the new Israel. So what do Jews make of Jesus? Since the parting of the ways, when Christianity split away and distinguished itself from Judaism as something very different, until relatively recent times, Judaism has avoided mention of Jesus. With very few exceptions, there is nothing in the ancient Jewish literature that could be regarded as an independent source of information on Jesus. Those few Jewish texts, which are believed by some writers to refer to Jesus, do not add to the gospel evidence and do not go beyond ascribing to Jesus a Pharisaic or rabbinic-like exposition of scripture, the power to heal in his name, the fact that he left disciples, and an unhistorical tradition of the circumstances of his trial and death. One could put forward several suggestions to account for this apparent lack of interest within the Talmud and Jewish sources. Perhaps the silence has been accidental, in that historical circumstances might never have offered an opportunity for reports about Jesus to be included within the writings. Or, perhaps, the editors had not deemed Jesus important enough to discuss, or were simply ignorant of his existence. Or, perhaps, Jewish contemporaries had discussed Jesus, but their references to him had been suppressed by later editors, who feared encouraging heretical ideas, and thus were eventually forgotten. There was also, of course, the practical danger of provoking violent Christian responses, because with the parting of the ways, there were tensions between the emerging communities. Similarly, Jews in the medieval period had little to say about Jesus because of their own concern about encouraging controversy and their fear of reprisals. What little was written was typically highly defensive and apologetic in tone for writings regarding Jesus were usually composed under persistent anti-Jewish oppression. This explains the popularity in the medieval period of the Toldot Yeshu, the history of Jesus, a notorious polemic composed sometime in late antiquity on the basis of earlier traditions, which presented Jesus as an illegitimate born apostate Jew who practiced sorcery and sought to lead Israel astray. There were also religious disputations in which Jewish leaders were compelled to participate. These were the main context of the Jewish treatment of Jesus during the Middle Ages. But as far as the evidence goes, they did not occur in any large number until the 13th century. At this time, there was an outbreak of public debates which forced Jewish thinkers to give heed to a subject which to them was not of primary interest. Well-known examples include the disputations at Paris in 1240 and Barcelona in 1263. A recognisable pattern emerged. In response to Christian proof texting of the Old Testament, which sought to validate various doctrines such as the Trinity, the Incarnation, original sin and redemption through Christ, Jewish thinkers disputed the meaning of the texts. 
they were especially concerned to refute Christian claims of God's rejection of Israel for their failure to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Discussions in which the opponents were also the judges were by no means conducive to an unbiased reading or estimation of Jesus. It was only sensible for Jews to avoid such confrontations whenever possible. In any case, there was little incentive to become interested in these matters, since the Jew found fulfillment in his laws and teachings. Until relatively modern times then, Jesus and his teachings were subjects generally avoided by Jewish thinkers. The 18th and 19th century emancipation, that is the political freedoms of citizenship that were slowly rolled out to Jews throughout Europe and the US, and the new freedom it brought for Jewish writers and thinkers changed all this and encouraged a less hostile treatment of Jesus. The arrival of the Wissenschaft des Judentums, or the scientific or historical study of Judaism, could be considered the single most important factor in making possible a new Jewish attitude towards Jesus. This modern way of approaching the past and its historical critical methodology, and the greater confidence it inspired, meant that Jewish writers became increasingly objective, or at least less polemical, in their approach to Christianity and its origins. And soon after, in the early 19th century, the Jewish Reformation took place, whereby so-called reformed Jews freed themselves from what they saw as superstitions and obsolete rituals of traditional Judaism. Instead, they emphasized the ethical tradition within Jewish teaching, as exemplified by the prophets, at the expense of religious dogma, and sought to redefine Judaism in essentially ethical terms. Viewed as a Jewish ethical teacher, Jesus and his teachings started to look more interesting and relevant. It was the beginning of what has been described as the Jewish reclamation of Jesus. The majority of modern Jewish writers and scholars drawn to the study of Jesus have been reform or liberal or progressive in opposition to traditional or orthodox Judaism. And there are several reasons for this. The tendency among 19th century reform-minded Jews to move away from the idea of Judaism as a nation and to view it rather as a religious fellowship was very much related to the new emphasis on ethics as central to their religious message. In this context, especially for those who were critical of Orthodox Jewish ritual, Jesus represented the struggle of free spirituality against the external ritualism of an earlier time, thus mirroring the then contemporary debate between the Orthodox and the Reformed Jews. Yet Jewish reclamations of Jesus were driven by more than simply the concern to recover the champion of an earlier Jewish ethical tradition. Since the Enlightenment, Jewish writers had become increasingly engaged in dispute with Christian writers over what they regarded as Christian misunderstandings of rabbinic religion, especially with regard to the law, which caricatured Judaism as a kind of fossilized legalism. That is, the idea that Judaism had been frozen in time and was hopelessly obsessed with the law. From the 19th century onwards, a stock argument among Jewish writers had been that Jesus' ethical teachings had been essentially Jewish of one sort or another and had included nothing new or original. Such treatments provided a platform from which to launch counterattacks on Christianity in that they stressed the Jewishness and therefore the humanity of Jesus in contradiction to the traditional high Christological view of Jesus, that is, emphasizing Jesus's divinity rather than his humanity. 
They were also a reminder that the Christian morality championed by Western civilization could arguably be regarded as imitative and derivative of Jewish religious thought. The 19th century German reform rabbi and scholar Abraham Geiger, to take one example, spent considerable time and effort to this end. For Geiger, the traditional Christian view of the church as the fulfillment of a failed Judaism was a myth he was determined to overthrow. Jesus, he argued, had been a Pharisee, albeit one who was a little too idealistic, such as when he suggested, if anyone should take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also, Matthew 5, verse 40, which was not a helpful teaching for a real society. In any case, Geiger suggested that Christianity should be regarded as a tangential offshoot from Judaism, and that the current search for the faith of Jesus by Protestant scholars would only confirm that this ideal faith was essentially Jewish in nature. This way of confronting Christian claims regarding Jesus and Judaism by describing Jesus as essentially Jewish rather than essentially alien and heretical was new. It can at least be partially explained by the reaction to Christian critique and the underlying psychological need to justify Judaism in the eyes of the Western Christian world. If Jesus had added nothing new to the teachings of the Jewish prophets and sages, then what justification had Christians for condemning Jewish teachings as inferior to Jesus's teachings? One way of justifying Judaism to Christians then was to argue for Jesus's Jewishness, to reclaim him as a Jew, albeit with a number of reservations. Before we look at a few other important examples, it's probably worth noting at this point that we'll set to one side Hebrew Christians or Messianic Jews who tend to teach Christianity using Jewish language, symbols and traditions. Rather, we'll focus on Jews who reject Christian claims of Jesus as the Messiah, but who were nonetheless fascinated by Jesus's Jewish origins and teachings and his worldwide influence. Heinrich Gretz is probably the next best person to to look at in relation to the modern Jewish view of Jesus, since he was the author of the first comprehensive history of the Jews published from the 1850s to 1870. Gretz, a Polish Orthodox Jew, emphasizes Judaism's ethical values and how Judaism seeks to teach those values to the world. He stresses its status as the sole monotheistic faith and the only rational religion. Crucially, he points to the failures of Christianity as a religion and the impracticalities of its ethics for a healthy society. It comes as no surprise then that for Gretz, who admired Jesus as a Jew, Jesus had never intended to attack Judaism or abolish the ceremonial laws. For example, Jesus kept the Sabbath laws, was not against sacrifice or fasting or wearing fringes, and he spoke only to Jews. Having said this, in comparison with contemporary rabbis such as Hillel, Jesus was less knowledgeable about the law. To Gretz, Jesus appears as an Essene, a contemplator, a renouncer of life, who aimed to prepare the people for the messianic time. When considering teachings such as blessed are the poor, Luke 6 verse 20, or the conclusion of Jesus' de dealings with the rich young man in Matthew 19 verse 24, Gretz concludes, quote, like the Essenes, Jesus highly esteemed self-inflicted poverty and despised the mammon of riches. According to Gretz, Jesus probably mistakenly did think he was the Messiah, although he never claimed, as Christians would later claim, that he was more than a human being. 
Gretz emphasized rather that Jesus had been born of Joseph and of his wife Miriam, and that his death was due to the Romans and not the Sanhedrin, although he made many enemies for himself. That the resurrection was a legend. From Gretz's presentation, as for Geiger's, any depreciation of Jewish teachings would be seen as the equivalent of the depreciation of Jesus as a Jewish teacher of Judaism. Another famous Jewish view of Jesus was offered by Martin Buber, a Viennese-born philosopher and theologian. Buber had a very philosophical view of Judaism, which he understood to emphasize the hallowing or the making holy of the everyday, seeing God in the relationships between individuals and regarding the essence of religion in terms of engagement with the challenges of the day rather than in specific beliefs and religious activities. Buber taught in Frankfurt until 1933 when the Nazis forced him out. He continued to teach and encourage Jewish studies in Germany until 1938 when he emigrated to Palestine and taught at Hebrew University. Jesus's close relations to Pharisees are assumed throughout Buber's writings. For example, Jesus is seen to echo the Pharisees in his warning against the sterile law of external observance rather than internalization of ethical principles. If Jesus is more perfectionist, it's because he believes the end of history is imminent, in contrast to the Pharisees, whom we should not despise. It all came down to the matter of how one defines faith. Buber argued in a book of the same name that two types of faith could be discerned. He explains, quote, the one comes from the fact that I trust someone without being able to offer sufficient reasons for my trust in him. The other from the fact that, likewise, without being able to give sufficient reason, I acknowledge a thing or belief to be true. Jesus's emunah, or faith, shows that Jesus, like the Pharisees, had faith in his relationship with his heavenly father, rather than faith in certain beliefs or teachings about God, which was the pistis or faith of Paul and the church. Jesus had a truly close relationship with the father and probably saw himself as a prophet who reluctantly came to accept his messianic role. But in contrast to the apostle Paul and the later Christian church which followed Paul, Jesus's experience is fundamentally the same as the Pharisees, according to Buber. One of the most appreciative Jewish views of Jesus was issued by the Austrian-born David Flusser, who escaped the Holocaust by emigrating to Palestine in the late 1930s. As an observant Jew and a student of the Talmudic literature, he went on to Hebrew University, where he spent the next 50 years as professor of early Christianity and comparative religion. The Jerusalem School, with which Flusser is associated, assumes that it is possible to reconstruct the life of Jesus with knowledge of the Jewish background, and that the gospel material was more reliable than was often supposed, not least because a Hebrew document lies behind the synoptic gospels, an idea which finds next to no support amongst New Testament scholars nowadays. For Flusser, Jesus was a religious genius, impossible to compartmentalize. While not strictly a Pharisee, his preaching of love probably set him closest to Pharisees of the school of Hillel. On the other hand, with regard to his teachings regarding morality, he was influenced by the Essenes. And while Jesus is understood to have come to see himself as the Messiah, what really inter interested Flusser was Jesus's teachings and parables. These veered towards Agadah, that is, moralistic storytelling, rather than halakha or law, 
since Jesus emphasized ethical rather than legal matters. Despite this, he was fundamentally an observer of the law. He appears to have been at home in the scriptures and oral traditions and was better educated than Paul. Although, as Flusser pointed out, it was important to remember that much of the law was in flux at this time and had not yet been codified in writing. With his teaching of unconditional love, Jesus effectively proposed a way forward for Jewish teaching, and his revolutionary teachings included the love of one's enemy and his call for a new morality, bearing in mind the imminence of the kingdom of heaven. For Flusser, this last was part of Jesus's originality. As he explained, quote, Jesus is the only Jew of ancient times known to us who preached not only that men were on the threshold of a new time, but that the new age of salvation had already begun. Let's finish with one of the most interesting takes on the Jewish Jesus by Pincus Lapid, a Canadian-born Orthodox Jew who moved to Israel in 1938, where he lectured at the American College in Jerusalem on the New Testament. During the Second World War, he was an officer in the Jewish Brigade of the British Army. He went on to serve Israel as a diplomat and a journalist, as head of the Jerusalem Press Bureau. He lived in Germany and lectured throughout Europe, a frequent participant in Jewish-Christian dialogue, concerned with reconciliation between Jews and Christians and Jews and Germans. For Lapid, Jesus was essentially a Pharisaic teacher, influenced by the prophets, and while he did not declare himself to his people as Messiah, despite the fact that he was construed as such by his later disciples, Jesus actually had had an important preparatory role in messianic history, making it possible for non-Jews in the Roman Empire and wider world to learn about the monotheistic God. Jesus was essentially faithful to the Torah, one indication of this being that the people did not reject him, although he certainly offended some. It was the impact of Jesus's teachings and the power of his preaching that explains his popularity. As for the popularity of the religion that sprang up around Jesus, Lapid felt that this could be put down to something extraordinary. Namely, Lapid believes that the resurrection was historical, that it actually took place. For him, the evidence rings true, for example, in all the Gospels. The witnesses included women and were highly excited, elements which one might have expected to decrease believability and therefore sounded to his journalistic ears as being true. Lapid was a believer in a future resurrection of the dead, but for decades he had not believed in Jesus's resurrection. This changed since, in his words, quote, how can it be explained that, against all plausibility, Jesus's adherents did not finally scatter in comparison to other messianic claimants, were not forgotten, and that the cause of Jesus did not reach its infamous end on the cross? The answer of the apostles was brief and ambiguous, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Lapid even goes so far as to criticize Christians who abstract or dehistoricize the resurrection event or suggest in any other way that the bodily resurrection did not occur. There are many, many other modern Jewish views we could mention, almost all of which accepted the Jew Jewishness of Jesus, despite any flaws and ways in which his later non-Jewish followers would treat Jews through the following two millennia. Thus, the British founder of liberal Judaism, Claude Montefiore regarded Jesus as a kind of Old Testament prophet. The American Reformed Jewish New Testament scholar Samuel Sandmel regarded Jesus as an inspiring teacher of Judaism, whose key originality 
lay in his sense of authority and his chutzpah in forgiving others' sins. The Oxford historian Geza Vermesh was convinced that Jesus was best understood as a wandering Jewish holy man and wonder worker. And the Palestinian-based historian Joseph Klausner, who regarded Jesus as a, an exemplary Zionist and an important figure in the Jewish national history, even went so far as to write, quote, One day, the book of the ethics of Jesus, stripped of miracles and mysticism, might be one of the choicest treasures in the literature of Israel for all time. All of these thinkers and others saw something of interest in Jesus the Jew. The question we started with was, how Jewish do Jewish people think Jesus was? It should be clear by now that the answer is, it depends on which Jewish people you ask. Certainly, what one can say is that in modern times, Jesus has been reclaimed as a Jew, and even a good Jew, having been badly misunderstood by Christians who have made a god of him. The Jewishness of Jesus, even as it is understood in different ways, as an Essene, a mystic, a Pharisee, a holy man, a prophet or otherwise, does not stop him being a good Jew in Jewish eyes. Even believing himself to be a Messiah could not be held against him, since many Jews down through history have mistakenly supposed that they were God's anointed. Of course, such an approach rules out for Jewish commentators the the possibility of Jesus being either divine or actually being the long-awaited for Messiah. Having said that, there have been many Jews who, while rejecting Christian claims for Jesus, were prepared to accept him as a Jewish brother. <laughs>